Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there, I'm Georgie Ainsley, and every week I talk to someone who is a performance person. They could be an athlete from the world of entertainment, business, or politics. They could even be an astronaut. The key link is, of course, that they all know how to perform at the top level, and they can teach us all a thing or two about how to do that in our own lives at whatever it is that we do. Performance People is available wherever you get your podcasts, or of course, you can watch us on YouTube, where you can also subscribe, and please do. Jason Fox, or Foxy as he's known, is a TV personality, adventurer, and former UK Special Forces and Royal Marine Commando. Fox joined the Marines as a 16-year-old in 1992 and was medically discharged in 2012, having been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Since leaving the military, he has talked openly about his mental health, a warning that this episode contains sensitive content, including references to suicide. If you or someone you know is struggling with thoughts of self-harm or suicide, you can seek help from the Samaritans by calling them free from any phone on 116-123. I've learned the hard way that emotions, they shouldn't be acted upon. They should just be used as a tool. Like emotions there to it to, to basically alert you to something that, that there's something that you should pay attention to and that you should think very carefully before you carry out your next moves. Fear that I slow down when I feel scared because I'm like, right, I'm doing something that's obviously scary, which means I might potentially hurt myself or die. I get like a prickly neck or, or like a hot feeling on the back of my neck. I know that's anger. The minute I start feeling that, I, I stop. I stop what I'm doing, take some deep breaths, and I think about my next move. Because ultimately, if you let anger dictate an action, you will probably end up in a fair amount of trouble. Um, so I want to start by asking you a little bit about, I saw an interview that you did where it's quite interesting. You're talking about when you when you sort of signed up for the forces, it, were, it came from a place where you felt you sort of, 
quite an impressionable teenager, needed to get out of Luton, quite easily led. And then you find yourself in an organization which ultimately ends up with, you know, big leadership roles, with leadership roles which really count for something and, and can make the difference between life and death. So how did that happen? And what was your sort of your personal journey from the age of sort of a 16-year-old, quite misguided youngster to becoming, you know, a, a main player in the SAS? <laughs> a main player? Uh I think look, I I did terribly at school. I was a typical. In fact, I shouldn't say this, but as in my opinion, I was a typical young boy who just didn't just had a short attention span and didn't really academically connect with anything. I was getting into a little bit of bother. I could see that, and somehow I had the presence of mind as a sixteen-year-old to realise I needed to get away from. I needed to break the cycle. And so I decided that the best option, or maybe it decided for me, was to join the military. My dad had been in the military before, uh, but I can't remember. It was like he left when I was like one. So, you know, all I remember about that was him telling us stories. And I thought, right, that sounds like a bit of me. Don't need any qualifications, just need to be able to sort of run. So joined up, uh, realised it wasn't all about run running, had a massive shock to the system because then suddenly realised that you had to look after yourself, which I wasn't used to because I had a mum. She did it all. And, uh, yeah, it was a it was a rocky road to start with. But then um, it, I, I found my feet quickly, maybe because I was 16 and, like, you, you adapt quickly, you bounce. You can take the knocks, I think, a bit better. You know, people shouting at me didn't bother me. I'd been shouted at for 16 years because I was just naughty. So I just sort of got on with that and uh, eventually I embraced it, finished Royal Marine training, joined a, a fighting unit, they call it. That's a, like a group of people. And I loved it. I loved being a soldier. I loved the craft. There is there is skill involved as well, surprisingly. And um, I like rolling around in the dirt. So I, I carried it on and I learned, I learned a lot about it and in the process loved it that much that I thought right if I'm going to stay in this job I want to challenge myself again and that's how I ended up putting in for special forces selection interesting isn't it who the army and who um the armed forces attracts because I uh, speaking to a friend of ours who is a human performance coach for a sports team and he said he was really on the wrong side of the tracks or heading down that pathway and he had to do something about it and he just found the discipline and the structure and the routine of that setup suited him or was what he needed. He says it saved him. Do, do you feel the same way? Yeah, hundred percent. I was a lot, I wasn't a lost soul. I was just lost in the, in my direction. And I had all these amazing ideas when I was younger. I can remember thinking at some point, I don't know why that I wanted to be a graphic designer. I don't even know what it meant. And I was like, Oh, that sounds cool. And I think it was because you could draw. And uh, that that it soon became apparent that that was not going to happen, and so yeah, and and because of where I was growing up, being easily led, I was like a skinny little runt, you know. I it what things weren't going well. My last I can remember my last day of school was catastrophic, beyond beyond apprehension, uh, uh, beyond any form of. Ex, um, any form of acceptability and uh, I was like, oh, right, I need to do something. And 
And ultimately, yes, joining the military did save me. Whether it saved my life, I don't know. But it definitely saved me and pointed me in the right direction. I want to know what was so bad about that last day of school. What did you do? I, um, okay, I bunked, you've asked, (laughs) you asked for this. I bunked (laughs) off, me, two other lads, three girls. We went and found a load of booze, hung out by the wreck. There's always a wreck in there involved. Got absolutely shedded. I then produced the bottle of booze that I stole from my dad's drinks cabinet. I I was 15. I looked about 10 and I proceeded on my own to drink 75 centilitres of Bacardi and uh, got absolutely baggage, crawled crawled a mile back to school into the class I was supposed to be in, proceeded to get naked apparently. And yeah, it was it was a disaster. I got taken home. I ended up getting my stomach pumped. Yeah, it was a, I became a face, a face in the school for a little bit. Anyway, anyway there, that's what happened. I got into a lot of trouble. My old man was more annoyed at the fact that I'd stolen booze as opposed to the whole embarrassing the family name. And what did your dad say to you about going into the armed forces? What was it? Obviously, he had been there, done that, got the T-shirt. What was his sort of take on, on, did he give you any advice about, you know, how to cope with it, how to excel at it? Like, what, what was his take on you being part of that? <clears throat> My dad was very, he was a good dad, actually, um, he taught me and my brothers quite a bit about um, other stuff that you don't normally get caught taught about. You know, he, he took his fitness training, you know, his youngsters got us running, got us into fitness, got us into sport, taught us how to map read when we were on holiday, you know, little survival, all that sort of stuff. So it was, it was a gradual process. He, I think he taught us to be resilient. Um, weirdly, just before I decided to join, I was, I was a typical teenager I was you know I, I wouldn't get out of bed I was a I was a nose for my mum you know he's always telling me off and pulling me in line and he actually said to me he says you'll never make it because you just haven't got the discipline and I remembered that forever I still remember it now and it was like a red rag to a ball and I think he knew what he was doing my dad knows me and I think he realized that's what he put that was that was his final parting piece of encouragement was to basically say that I wasn't good enough and it worked (laughs) yeah he knew exactly what he was doing like you say he knew you and Mm. what was the first day like turning up you'd obviously gone through the recruitment process and I imagine that's very grueling very very tough physically but then you've got this mental challenge as well to overcome of being part of this unit I mean what was it like being part of a of a team like that it was scary. I was, I thought I was ready. I'd done, I, physically, I was in a quite a good place. Even as a 16-year-old, I was just like, I was just robust for a youngster. But it was just, I joined, you know, my intake was about 60 guys. I was one of two 16-year-olds. The rest of them were probably about 20 onwards. And I know that it's not a big gap, but it is a big gap, you know, 16 to 20. They're, they've lived life, they've, they all had jobs. They'd been to some had dropped out of uni, some had been to uni, some had had careers, and like we were, the, we were these two. I would say handbrakes. We were, we were what applied the, you know, we applied the pressure by being a pain in the ass for everyone because we didn't know how to look after each other. And you know, in in the beginning, yes, you go and do 
physical activities, but ultimately it's all about being able to look after yourself, clean your clothes, iron them, make sure that everything's neat and tidy. And I, I was on cloud cuckoo land. It was, it was like a massive shock to the system. And I genuinely knew that I was a, I was basically a pain in the ass to everyone. So how did you overcome it? What, what was there a moment where you thought, oh, I've, I've got the measure of this. The tide's turning slightly and I, I, I've now, I mean, it's weird because I remember becoming a mum for the first time. And at first it was so overwhelming. Like the first three months, you're like in this complete fog. And then I remember literally at 12 weeks, something happened where the fog lifted and I kind of thought, okay, I think I've got this. <laughs> I think I do. And of course, there's all sorts of stuff that gets thrown at you along the way. But there was there was a moment where I honestly thought the fog's lifting. Did you have that at all? First of all, I, I'd suggest that becoming a mum is harder than this. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I did. Um, I think it it was it was it seemed to take a long time. It was a slog. I can remember phoning my mum in tears, and it was never that I was going to give up. I was just like, I am overwhelmed with the mm. pressure. And I used to have a picture of my dad in uniform on my, on my wall. And that was, that was my motivation to stick with it. But um, all of a sudden, as happens with young people, you pick things up and something clicked. And then I started to enjoy it. And then all, what happened, it was weird because the, two, the young lads, the, the, us youngsters within the we called it a troop, so it's a troop of guys. We suddenly clicked and then we embraced everything because we're still young. We're like sponges. We're soaking information up and taking everything on board. And there was this flip where the older guys became became the this not the hindrance, but they they started to slow down. Yes. And they their their little all their little idiosyncrasies or and things that they'd picked up through life started to hinder them because it didn't fit in line with where you know the organization wanted him to fit in if that made sense is it a little bit like if you turn up for a golf lesson and you've had quite a few lessons beforehand and you've got yourself into some bad habits and then someone's like if you actually start with a fresh clean slate I guess you can be built it's a little bit like Lewis Hamilton isn't it like turning up as an 11 year old at McLaren and it's like we we've got you so young we know exactly how to build the blocks here to make you amazing rather than having to kind of go back and unpick all the bad habits is it a bit like that yeah it is and I I completely get the golf analogy because I'm trying to play golf and it is an absolute cluster yeah there's another word that goes on the end of cluster (laughs) yeah I know I didn't add it I didn't add it deliberately So, so you're going through that. You're going through this process, and I'm wondering, like, sort of, you know, obviously there is at the end of, you know, all of this training and all of this, um, all of this brilliant camaraderie, which is no doubt taking place, and you feeling like you belong. Well, there is possibly the prospect of battle, right? The prospect of, you know, friends um, dying, the prospect of um, loss of life and and being confronted with all of that. What prepares you for that? Can you ever be prepared enough for that? I get that you can be prepared physically, but can you ever be prepared emotionally or mentally for for that stuff? I So the British military, I'm going to sound biased here, but the Brits are very good at training soldiers and they put you through a very, whether it doesn't matter what part of the organization, whether it's the army, the Navy, the Marine, it doesn't matter. They're all really good at it. And they, 
they put you through so much rigorous training that yes, physically you are ready, but you are all that time, even even as a youngster, they're conditioning you to be prepared to be involved in something that's quite ultimately horrific, I suppose. And so when it does eventually happen, and it doesn't happen straight away, it didn't for me. I I had a big chunk of time in the Marines, like just playing at being a soldier and traveling the world, drinking loads and having a right laugh. But you do know, whether you consciously know or not, you are knowing that there's something that is in the, you know, it's it's there waiting. You could go to war, you could be involved in stuff. So when it does happen, it's not a big deal. It wasn't a big deal to me. I mean, it was a big deal. I'm not, I don't mean to like almost sound like I'm paying it lip service. It was a big deal, but it wasn't in a way that it had a massive impact on me. It was like, okay, I'm part of this now. This is what happens. And I've already bought into it. I'd already you know, I'd signed along the dotted line. And when I did that, I was like, you know, I'm, you know there's a there's a case of living by the sword, but dying by it. You've got to accept that. So it was, I was lucky enough to join the British Armed Forces and they prepared me very well. And obviously you go into battle with, with your comrades, with people that you've, you know, come up through the ranks with. Some of those guys will be older, some of those guys will be younger and some the same age as you. And, and how do you manage those, those friendships or, or not? Because I guess it doesn't necessarily translate that you end up being best mates with the people that you work with. I mean, I, I guess I assume it's like a, a teammate thing and you're all in it together. But actually, how do you manage those dynamics and different relationships? Because presumably you don't love everybody. Ah, so I think you do love everybody, but you don't like everybody. So I, I would, I'm going to go back and like dig up some feelings and memories from my time in a special forces squadron. There's about, I don't know, 30 guys, plus or minus, depends on what's going on. You know them intimately. You can trust them implicitly. You know that they've been through, there's like a, there's a fundamental building block to getting into special forces, which is selection. Everyone that gets in has passed that, which tells you, they're reliable. They're different characters, though. And you are, I am not best mates with all of them. You can get on with them and you can have a laugh because you have to, because that is another, you know, important part of operating in small teams a long way from home in sticky situations. But when it comes to like wanting to go down the pub with them all, I, you don't want to. There's only a few, there's only a handful. But it's not about that. It's about, Going out there, understanding you've got a job to do, all having a very, very clear understanding of that common goal. And because of that, you love each other and you love each other in a way that you would, you pretty much would do crazy stuff to make sure those guys would get out of the, the, the brown stuff. So, yeah, it, it's a weird, it is a really weird dynamic. It's difficult to explain, but ultimately, there's a lot of love, not a lot of like but a lot of understanding about what you're all there for. And then when you do find yourself in a situation which is combat effectively, how how do you go through a process of, obviously, like you said, you've done the preparation, you're in the moment. What do you do afterwards to make sure you're managing that okay and that what you've seen, you're, you're, you're sort of decompressing from, from those moments? Because it's so extraordinary I mean, it's the most extraordinary thing to put yourself in into the middle of. Yeah, the 
the short-term decompression is easy. You like you'll be away for six months. You'll go out, do something. It's chaos. Stuff might happen that's not nice, and you come back from that, and you haven't got an awful lot of time to deal with it. So you you you'll have discussions. You'll talk about what happened. You'll laugh at some of it. You'll get. I wouldn't say like cry, but you get down, or you you at least acknowledge the emotion of being sad. But then you're in the you're in the thick of it, and you've got to you've got to reset and go again. What I definitely wasn't good at was decompression in the long term. So there was a lot of stuff that happened. There was a lot of you know stress, career induced and life induced. And I was not good at decompressing at that. I didn't really know how to. I hadn't been taught to. When it comes to the military stuff, it was easier. Go and sit next to me, mate, and we'd chat about stuff and laugh at it, cry at it, be sad, be happy, and crack on. But it was it was the other stuff that I wasn't very good at. I, I, I couldn't really – I wasn't good at striking that balance. So I'm probably a bad example of ask or, or you, you know, when you ask me that, I'm – a bad example. I'm a good example. Short-term decompression. I think you deal with it there and then nip it in the bud. But long-term, when you, you know, I didn't think that that was going to be a problem, and it ended up being a problem. To be honest, it's interesting. Like a lot of people that we speak to on this podcast, um, really successful people in whatever they might be doing. By their very nature of the title, it's called performance people, right? That's what they do, and that's at the heart of everything. And the common denominator amongst all of them and almost like a flashpoint turning point for most of them is this vulnerability thing. This sort of suddenly you find yourself in a vulnerable spot and actually it's, it's sort of something you're desperately uncomfortable with because that's not something that necessarily you associate your, your world with. Is that, is that kind of what you're talking about here? Is that sort of what happened that you sort of suddenly found a vulnerability that you didn't really know how to, how to deal with or express or, or handle? Hmm. Yes, maybe. Hmm. I so like I joined the military. I got trained up to a good level. I then joined the special forces, and I go and take it to the next level. And there's a lot of money spent on not just me personally, but yes, I as an individual have had an awful lot of money spent on them to get them to this point. So I'm very good at dealing with being a soldier. That, that is a fact, I think, and that is a fact for most people in that job. The problem is I have never been taught in my life to deal with life, as in what we all experience, whether that's meeting people, building relationships, those relationships breaking down, kids, arguments, no money, car breaks down, all those things I've never been taught to deal with. So when they started to impact me as a person, which then in turn would have an effect on my career, that's where my vulnerabilities came to the forefront of my mind. And I was petrified of it. And I didn't know, I didn't know what I was doing. I did. I, I actually used to deliberately try and volunteer for more trips away to get away from the stuff that we all experience because I, because it freaked me out. So you didn't suffer the PTSD necessarily from what you were seeing in your in your um, your day job, it was more about the stuff that when you came home, was it? Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. 
Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I think it was complex, yeah. Don't get me wrong. The stuff, be going away and doing that stuff over and over again in different positions within the military, you know, you, you, the longer you're there, you get promoted, you have responsibilities, leadership roles. That That is stressful and it is a catalyst to, to you know, you're it can be a catalyst to having you know poor mental health if not dealt with but that was going on at the same time so you know i i met some we got married we had a kid my kid still is actually very ill and you know has learning difficulties all that happened then there's a divorce and there's other things that sit in within, within that where all all those things were probably converging at one point where i was dealing with a lot of them at the same time that's where my vulnerability came to the forefront like you could probably pinpoint it down to like a, a three month period. And and because I wasn't paying attention to myself and what was going on around me, and I didn't know or understand how to communicate to other people. I've, I've, the weird thing is I've, we're awesome at communicating in the military. We're, we're yeah. like, that is the one thing we know is super important. And yet we're absolutely useless at doing it anywhere else. And we clam up, we don't talk, and then people don't understand what's going on. And then there's an argument. Then it all just goes absolutely pear-shaped. And, is yeah. it because, Is it because you know, all those things seem really trivial? I think, do you know what? I think the, the bit where we let ourselves down is because we think it's trivial and it isn't. So we, I, I did, I did think that. I was like, ah, this is, why the hell am I getting involved in this? I've got, like, 15 hours ago, I was getting shot at, and now I'm having a, a like, what? But it, that's that's the wrong approach to take. It's not trivial. It's like, it's the other part of reality. It's the other part that's actually really important. Because if you get that trivial bit right, it really does alleviate the stress from the, from the career side of things. But because I didn't, there was no... There was no like nice place. It was just madness. So you said you've spoken before about the fact that you know you sort of felt like when you when you left uh, the armed forces, you probably left about two years prematurely. But that was that was by nature of of, of leaving under the PTSD thing. And since then, you've had the, like this hugely successful TV career, books, tours, all of that. Do you feel like you've mm. You're now at peace with everything that's happened. Everything happens for a reason, or, or, or do you still? Are there still moments that keep? Well, this chat probably keeps pulling you back. But are there? Are there? Do you feel like you've parked that and you've put it to bed, and you're now moving forward with everything else? No, no, right. Firstly, 
don't worry, this chat isn't pulling me back. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm in a. I think <laughs> I think I'm in a good place. I'm I'm in a good place because I've been honest with myself, and you know I've been honest with you in the chat so far about you know yeah I I got a lot of things wrong. I I looked at something and thought it was trivial. To be quite honest, nothing in life's trivial, and it shouldn't be treated as such. You know, everything has an impact and has ramifications. But I think because of that, because of being honest, because I've managed to get through my bout of poor mental health and it's taught me a lot and I've paid attention to what I've learned, I do, I genuinely believe I'm in a good place to deal with a lot of things. That doesn't mean I'm not, I'm not, um, what's the word, naive enough to think that, you know, I might not trip up again and, you know, I'll always get things wrong, but I, I, I hope I'm detached enough from my own self that I can look at things in a way that hopefully I can guide myself through it and also understand that I'm always able to speak out, uh, reach out and speak to people. I think you're right. Like being honest and it's a very cathartic process, isn't it? Talking about, you know, what may yeah. have been troubling you in the past and, and being able to move forward in that way. Uh, how, how have you managed to overcome these, these battles that you have been having with, with your mind? I mean, how are you able to move on f- from, from those things that might be, you know, problematic or have been in the past? Uh, one, so there's a couple of things. The first, the first thing that I had to do to really sort it out was like, be, like I've already said it, is be honest. I, even though I'd, I'd been medically discharged from the military for PTSD, I knew there was a problem, but I still denied it in my head. I might turn around to someone and say, oh, yeah, I've been diagnosed with this. But I genuinely didn't believe it, and I genuinely didn't think I needed to address it until it got to the point where I'm, like, contemplating throwing myself off a cliff. And I'm like, hang on a minute, this is, I, you know, I was in a bad place, and I was like, that either happens or I I have to do something. And it was only then that I was like, you've been lying to yourself all this time and it's doing you no favours. So there was that. And then there was also, there's got to be a level of acceptance within everyone that what has happened has happened. You ain't changing it. And whether it was, whether you see that as a good or bad thing, it doesn't matter now. It's about how you respond to that experience that that really matters, you know, Getting something wrong, failing, really, it doesn't matter. What matters is how you bounce back from it and how you frame it in your own head. Do you recognise that person who, I don't know how long it was ago now that you, you said you did that, but stood on that clifftop in Devon and contemplated jumping off it or not? Do you do you, do you recognise that person? Do you, is it still, you know, I mean, that's yeah. that's that's a crazy isn't it if you go through that process your your state of mind is in a whole other place how on earth do you talk yourself out of that mm. it was about 10 it was 10 years ago not to the day i can't even remember what bloody day it was it was all a haze really but i think there was t- there was t- i was i'd had a i remember having a meltdown i was crying not ashamed to say it uh i drove up to a car park wandered it was miserable day as well which probably had a part to play and got out there sort of realized that i've also got a healthy respect for heights so i was a bit like oh uh then i was like right do you know is this actually going to be something you do everything is falling about around me and um i was like well you either do this or 
you're going to have to do something to change things, and I I needed to do that. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to I'm going to change things. I'm going to change my life around. That's what I did. It didn't it didn't happen straight away, but it was that was the beginning, definitely. And did you have people helping you? Did you have people that you could talk to that you'd depend on that you'd go to that you'd chat this stuff through with? I mean, was it ex army people or what was it? Was it family friends? It wasn't to begin with. It wasn't army people. It wasn't family. It wasn't. Yeah, they became friends, but weirdly, it was. I got. I I had a job. I got given a job uh, for a big comp, big uh, facilities management company. And there were a couple of people in that organization. There was a guy that gave me the job, the MD, who, who actually said to me, I'm going to give you a job. It's not the job for you. He was right, but he threw me a bone and, you know, gave me a, a interim career. I had a car, had a, had a salary, a bonus. And there was someone within that. There was a, one of the account managers. So there was Andy was the MD. You had a girl called Debbie was the account manager. And weirdly, I spoke to them. You know, I can remember being in a lay-by, having had another meltdown, and I was actually on the phone to that girl, Debbie, the old older lady, and she she was there for me. I'd speak to Andy, the MD, every now and again. He'd catch up with me. He was the one that actually highlighted. He said to me, you, "You're struggling." He says, "I'm going to help you out. I'm going to always be here for you." And he was. And he, you know, I speak spoke to him the other day. He, you know. I owe an awful lot to those people. So they were, they were the initial people that I started to speak to. And then because of Andy, he then got me in touch with, um, there was a couple of couple of professionals that I ended up really connecting with after a while. So there was someone called Alex and someone called Malcolm. Uh, Alex, she's a clinical psychologist and Malcolm's a coach. And I got really talking to them and my journey went on from there and they helped me find my path out of, depression really wow so from there and to here that must have been quite that must have been quite a journey I mean you've been on several of them it sounds like you know during the course of your life but that must have been one of the most interesting one of the, one, one of the it, trickiest I'd say it's the hardest one it's the one I'm most mm. proud proud of doing like when yeah. people people always ask me oh what's your, what are you most proud of and they expect me to say uh, joining the special forces don't get me wrong i was mega proud at 26 years old to have done that but i didn't you know i never expected this journey to be a well this this chapter to be a part of my journey and so when i look back on it i'm i'm proud of this i'm proud of the the um the sort of path i took obviously with the help of others i'm very grateful for those four people and, uh, you know, and my family did come into it, you know, my mum, my dad, my brothers. And and in terms of feeling settled, you just got married, right? So now you are you are properly settled. <laughs> Busy bickering yeah, with your so. wife over cups of empty coffee. <laughs> no, I know, yeah. Do you know what? Long may that I continue. I don't bring it up. I don't, I don't bring it up. Keep it, keep it on the down low. So the SAS, for as long as I, you know, can recall anything about it, has always been a very secretive operation. It's always been very quiet, doesn't tell people what it does. In fact, actually up until I'm not so sure, maybe in the last 20 years or so, people didn't really know too much about the SAS. But it's become much more of a thing mm. that we're now much more aware of. 
Um, should it be? I don't know. That's, I mean, that's the wrong question probably to ask you because you are somebody that, you know, uh, we know from, from that past, but it, it's sort of its secrets are sort of what keep it, um, keep its mystery alive, I suppose, so, for, the, for the layman. Yeah. So I'd say that we know an awful lot about a lot of other things nowadays because of media, social, phones, tech, text basically enlightened the world. Yeah. So maybe this was always happening. Now, I don't necessarily agree with the fact. Well, I wouldn't have agreed with what I was doing a few years ago. But the opportunity came my way when I was in a real sticky spot, a very sticky spot. And the the opportunity is actually part of my um, recovery. Now, I when I first got asked to do this show, I said no. I was like, there's absolutely no way I'm doing it. I'm not getting involved in that. Then like, they asked me a couple of times and I had this conversation with a friend of mine and he was like, mate, if, if you don't do it, someone else is going to do that. And I couldn't get a job. So I'd been medically discharged with PTSD. That means most jobs that my career would lend themselves to, I'm not going to get a job in because as far as they're concerned, I'm branded. You know, if I go away and look after people, I'm carrying weapons. Oh, can we trust him because he's mad and all this sort of stuff. So I was struggling. I was living on my mate's sofa at the time and I didn't have something to pee in and I didn't have a pot to pee in. And I was, yeah, I wasn't on a good place. So then I was like, right, if this is an opportunity, it's going to pay me. And if I take it, I know for a fact that I'm going to conduct myself in a way that isn't going to bring that organization that I love and has given me a lot going forward um i'm not going to bring it into disrepute i'll try and be a good ambassador and i will always try and do that and i always have good dialogue with that organization still you know there are times when they're like oh god when are you going to finish and all that sort of thing and ultimately i'm like well and you know, i don't know but um don't worry i'm not going to tell any secrets and all that sort of thing but yeah it's been very it's been difficult to come to terms with it and I completely you know I might have blokes I know come up to me and go oh mate I don't really agree I'm like that's fine I completely get that but this is where I'm coming from and you know my friends are like yeah that's completely good I've got a good friend who actually loves it weirdly but um and what's it what's it given you Foxy what's it what's it given you apart from a regular salary and you know um stability financially and everything else what was it what's it actually given you um because so hard I imagine to replace the armed forces and the SAS I don't know how you go about doing that I mean my husband who's a sportsman I'm dreading the day he retires Mm. because God knows what he's going to be like. Like Mm. most sportsmen who go through that process, they really struggle because they don't suddenly have the routine. They don't have the camaraderie. They don't get those amazing moments, which are, I mean, in your case, they they can be, you know, shockingly awful, but you're sharing in something with people. Um, So, so, I mean, does this come, I suppose it's a different time in a different chapter in your life, but what, what does it give you? Does it give you anything that sort of goes a little way to replacing the SAS? Yeah. So first of all, the bonus is I'm not getting shot at, which is a pretty big <laughs> bonus. Um, although that is also exciting. Uh, but it is, it is, um, do you know what? The, I got asked this a while ago about our, oh, what do you think of this new career and the people you work with? And I was, I had a think and I was like, do you know what? I says, and the person that was asking me was in 
TV. He's a TV person. Uh, he's a director like interview me and I said you're not going to like this but the people that I used to be and work with you are no you're not dissimilar and he's like what like absolutely dumbfounded that I'd done a link between him and these like thugs that he thought we were <laughs> and I was like uh like we all like you me the people I used to work with and all this people all the people that are around us now we love we love to have a lot of things on a lot of projects we want to be perfect at them we, we strive for excellence we love traveling we get itchy feet and when we get the chance to let our air down we let our air down i says fundamentally you are the same people and it's given me you know you've given me a new community to be a part of and i love it so yeah actually what i'm in at the moment is is awesome and i do love it, it doesn't come without its difficulties they're different to the military ones you know there's a lot of politics involved there's a lot of people involved which means you're trying to you know find your way around without upsetting too many too many folk but it is it's awesome it's exciting you get to meet new people and i really love it so i'm i'm happy with what's happened it does get a little bit weird sometimes when you know people recognize you when you know they used to don't even know who i was but you know it's just part of it and yeah that's know, an interesting managed, facet you know, isn't it, it again it yeah, it comes down to that thing again about, you know, living your life sort of, then they say sort of in the shadows. Um, and then suddenly you're absolutely anything but in the shadows by the nature of being on the telly. <laughs> yeah, it is an odd thing. It was very odd, but it is what it is. And you just got to embrace it. If you don't embrace it, then it, it'll, it'll, have a, it'll have an adverse effect on you. But yeah, it was, it was, it was crazy, a crazy journey, but I've enjoyed it. And it is also to answer your question, you're never going to be able to replicate things that you've done in your younger years. Do you know what I mean? And you have to accept that. People have to accept that. There's no good moping through life and going, oh, my life isn't what it used to be. It's never going to be like that. So it's about finding the new you and how you fulfill yourself. That should be the exciting bit. Like, what's the new, what's the new chapter? How can I make this exciting? Neither of us are going to look back with rose-tinted spectacles about, you know, getting that diamond, diamond white cider or whatever it is and drinking that in a car park somewhere in a dodgy back of train station, <laughs> age 15, 16, which I'm know. sure we've all done. <laughs> I don't know. They, went, they were quite good. At, there was a, if you think about those moments, there was probably a snapshot of about five minutes that was fun and yet there was that warm, wavy feeling of drunkenness. Then it I'm just a little bit like, horrific. who were those people that bought that stuff for us? Like, I remember stopping random people on the street and going, oh, can you just go into the office and go, I mean, who were those people who did that? Who were like, yeah, well, we're enabling know. that. It's fine. Crazy times. Yeah, um, okay, so I want to ask you yeah. about a um, a performance tip. So for, for, for people listening and, you know, it feels, I'm going to say the word trivial, but we've just discussed the fact that nothing's trivial. Um what can people do on a daily basis for for better performance? Would you say is there one thing that you do? Is there is there sort of because you come from this world of routine? Is there something that you do every day which which enables you to basically have a better day than the, the previous one? Right. Apart from training, because that doesn't count. No, that counts. I, um, yeah, it does count. Okay, um, but yeah, training. But anyway. Um, and it doesn't matter how, how big or small that training session looks, get it in consistency. It could be five minutes. You'll feel better for it. Anyway, uh, for me, it's about 
being emotionally aware every morning. At, at some point, I will. I don't need necessarily need to sit down, but I'm going to use that as an analogy. I'll sit down and I'll check how I'm feeling, and I won't ignore my emotions. I will just explore them. If I'm feeling low for whatever reason, I'll try and work out why, and then that sets me up in a good way to try and combat it or get it nipped in the bud. Uh, and that for me is a big thing like being present it is one of the most important things for me now is that something that you learned post army or in the army it's something i probably learned in but didn't realize so it's something i definitely did adopt about you know you can only be present when you're getting shot at there's nothing else you can concentrate on however that's that is subconscious now it's very conscious like the thing with I'm going to go into some, how long we got? Hopefully. So basically, you don't mind me rambling, do you? No, go for it. <laughs> the reason I say all this is because I've learned the hard way that emotions, they shouldn't be acted upon. They should just be used as a tool. Like emotions there to, it, to, to basically alert you to something, that, that there's something that you should pay attention to mm. and that you should think very carefully before you carry out your next move. So, fear that I slow down when I feel scared because I'm like, right, I'm doing something that's obviously scary, which means I might potentially hurt myself or die. The, the, but the, the key one and one that I have learned the hard way because I've got into trouble in the past when I was younger is anger. The minute I feel I get like a prickly neck or, or like a hot feeling on the back of my neck, I know that's anger. The minute I start feeling that, I, I stop. I stop what I'm doing take some deep breaths and I think about my next move because ultimately if you let anger dictate an action you will probably end up in a fair amount of trouble and using that as the most extreme example that's what I do now in the morning is you know it might it's not normally that anger I'm pretty chilled now but you know it it will be feeling low and I'll be like why do I feel down and it'll be oh yeah I've got this coming up I'm not looking forward to it that's all right you're allowed to feel low now get you know get a grip sort it out, get through it, and you'll be good to go. Have a look forward. I'll always make sure that I've got something to look forward to, whether it's in a day's time, two days' time, or a week's time. That's so true, isn't it? You've just basically checked yourself. Just check yourself before you decide to act because it could just be completely impulsive and emotional and actually lead to a nightmare. Yeah, and I've, I, I, I regularly employ that in the car because, <laughs> because obviously Pete, no one's as good a driver as me. No, <laughs> no, of but obviously, not. you know, road rage becomes a thing. But but the one thing I'll say to anyone listening is, have you ever seen anyone look cool when they're angry? No. And we all want to look cool. So don't be angry. So just check yourself. That's a good tip. Note to self. Brilliant. Foxy, thank you so much. This has been great. This has been a really, really interesting chat. Thank you. No, awesome. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. If you or someone you know is struggling with thoughts of self-harm or suicide, you can seek help from the Samaritans by calling them free from any phone on 116 123.